Uh, good morning. Thank you, true lovers of Jesus, for being here on New Year's Day. If you know somebody that's normally here and not here today, be sure you tag them on your, on your check-in on Facebook. Say, I was here, where were you, so-and-so? And we will all like it. It's the like button. I like the like button. All right, uh, my name is Joe Davis. Uh, I'm one of the pastors here at Grace Life Sarasota. Are we ready to roll on this or no? I'm clicking and nothing's happening, just to give you a heads up on that, because at some point we'll need to go forward. But anyway, <clears throat> um, we're doing a little bit of a one-off today. There we go. So we'll, are we back on the front? There we go. We're going to do a one-off today. Next week, by the way, <clears throat> when all the sinners are back with us, we're going to start... <laughs> Eva liked that one. She liked that one. Nice a lot. We're going to start a new series called Jesus in Genesis, and I'm really excited about it. We're going to go through the book of Genesis and break it down for you in a way that maybe you've never even thought of before. I almost wanted to call it the Gospel of Genesis till I Googled that and found out that 4,000 other pastors have done that, so it wasn't original. So we're going to call it Jesus in Genesis, and we're going to go through the book of Genesis, and we're going to see shadows that point us to the cross all through it. It's a really amazing uh, study. I'm very excited about it. But today... I wanted to talk about how Grace Life will become a movement. How Grace Life, right now we've been a church, we've been meeting since October 2nd, so that's about three months to the day, almost. We've had a lot of fun, we've gotten some things going, but we really haven't, I wouldn't classify us yet as a movement. We're close, we're getting there, we have some elements that could make a movement, but as of right now, we aren't quite there yet. I don't want you to feel like, oh, Grace Life School, it's a different church. It's not that different from all other churches yet. But we're going to talk about how Grace Life becomes a movement. So before I read the verse to you, I want to define movement. An effort to assert relevance to a set of core values in an attempt to alter and change society. Let me read it again an effort to assert relevance to a set of core values and an attempt to alter and change society. The whole reason that I felt like God was calling us as a church to begin our life as a church family because I felt like that God had given us a set of core values through his word and through the example of the church in the book of Acts that if we really asserted those core values, we really could alter and change our community around us. So like we do here at Grace Life, we like to look at the historical part of, pass of a passage, the theological part, and then the devotional part. So let's look at the history first. I want to talk about the first time that the church started reaching out to Gentiles or non-Jewish people. I want to talk about the Gentile outreach movement. And for us to really truly appreciate what the church is and what it should be, we must look at how it started and then how it began to grow. It didn't start as this established, well-funded, well-oiled machine. It didn't start as this very reliable institution that people could go to and get everything they needed. It started as a movement. We're going to look at Acts chapter 11, 19 through 26. I'm just going to read uh, the passages to you here, okay? Now those who had been scattered by the persecution in connection with Stephen, if you guys remember, Stephen was stoned for being a Christian. They traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, telling the message only to Jewish people. Interesting. 
They're going to places where Gentiles live, but they're only talking to Jewish people with the gospel. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene went to Antioch, and they began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was on them, and a great number of these people believed and turned to the Lord. News, reached, news of this reached the ears of the church at Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. Stop there for a minute. So their natural, their natural comfort zone, even though they were being persecuted, was as they were scattering away, getting away from those who had killed Stephen, because they didn't want to meet the same fate as Stephen, who was stoned, a martyr. They ran away, and their first natural instinct was to preach the gospel of Jesus to people that were like them. People who were Jewish, who understood the temple, who understood what it meant to be connected to the synagogue. But some people decided to have this crazy, whacked out, lunatic idea of having a church in a comedy club. No, no, that's not what happened. So some of them had this crazy, whacked out idea to preach the gospel to Greeks, Gentiles, Jews who knew nothing about the temple. When he arrived and saw the evidence, Barnabas, because the church in Jerusalem said, hey, Barnabas, we hear something's going on with Gentiles. Can you go and verify that this is true? Because we don't believe it. Can you check it out? And when, when Barnabas arrived and saw the evidence of, grace of, of the grace of God, boy, can you imagine? I mean, that's a small phrase, but can you imagine what's packed in that? As he arrives in Antioch, and he begins to explore this rumor about people who didn't know anything about the temple and about Messiah and the book of Isaiah and anything like that. They were trusting Jesus. And he gets there and the scripture says the evidence of God's grace is overwhelming. He was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. In other words, he said, this is a church. Keep going. And Barnabas was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith. And a great number of people were brought to the Lord. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, or who later he called Paul. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So Paul and Barnabas were in Antioch, helping this Gentile church. <clears throat> so for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul, later Paul, met with the church and taught great numbers of people. And the disciples were first called Christians at Antioch. The Jewish people who were trusting Christ weren't called Christians. It was the Gentiles, when they trusted Jesus, were called Christians. Isn't that a fascinating story? See, so what happens is Jewish, the Jewish church is scattered out of fear in connection with Stephen. You see here the first true missionary effort of the church to assert a set of core values to change their society, and they take the gospel to Gentiles. Now, don't let this just slide right by you. This was a huge risk and a huge sacrifice. It was a sacrifice politically. How dare you talk to Gentiles about this Jesus? It was a risk religiously. You can never come back to the temple. It was a risk socially. How can you associate with people that have these pagan religions? Financially, we're not going to support you. And personally, they had to turn their back on what they had believed their whole life and begin to take this brand new message of Jesus that says you don't need the temple. They put two and two together and said, if we don't need the temple, 
then maybe these other people don't need the temple. Let's tell them about Jesus, and let's just see if God does something. The scripture says a great number of people believed in Jesus and were true to the Lord. Barnabas goes to check it out, finds out what's going on. He's very encouraged, and at great risk to himself, he affirms, listen, I'm telling you Jewish Christians, listen to me. It's good. It's real. It's amazing. It's just as powerful as what God has been doing in our Jewish lives. They aren't second-class citizens. They are the bomb. They are awesome. I can't, matter of fact, I can't wait to go back for a whole year with this guy, Paul. By the way, you guys remember who Paul was. He was the guy that before he was a Christian was killing Jewish Christians. So Barnabas says, I can't wait to go back with this guy, Saul, who's a brand new Christian who I've been mentoring and discipling. I want to take him with me for a full year to preach the gospel to these Gentiles. Are you guys okay with that? So you're going to take a murderer to preach the gospel to non-Jews? Have at it, Barnabas. And they were consistent in their message and their effort. They didn't just go and try for a week. They stayed there a full year. Maybe they had low attendance on New Year's Day too. I don't know, but they were there for a full year. So let's look at the theology of the passage. I want to talk about how God inspired the church at that time to be a movement. Well, in verse 21, the scripture says the Lord's hand was with them. So the first thing you have to recognize is if they were going to be a movement, it had to be something that God was leading them to do. The Lord's hand was with them. You know what else it says in verse 22? It says the grace life. Barnabas says the grace is evident. The grace life was evident. And then there was supernatural courage. They did things that other people could not imagine they would do. And they did it with bravery. Now, these actions from God enabled the church to have some very unique focuses as compared to established religious institutions. Would you agree with that? There are some things that are going on that gave them some very unique abilities to tune in on certain things they should be doing. Like, first of all, Their focus became on a couple of things. People, not buildings. Does that sound familiar? You see where we get our core values from, by the way? I think you're going to start. We're mobile. People, not buildings. They no longer were preaching a message that was centered upon being at the temple every day. They were preaching a message that was about being with people who became the temple of God every day. So that's the first thing that this... Movement caused them to do is be able to focus on people. I mean, how in the world, Barnabas, are you going to take a murderer to Antioch to preach to Gentiles and not be anywhere near the temple? That's crazy. Oh, no, it's not. We're mobile. Oh, okay. They focused on action, not rhetoric. Because I will tell you, talk about church is cheap. Even if you're talking about your actions, (laughs) talk can be cheap. You know what I hate about modern-day church? Because I'm not really good at it. Maybe that's why I hate it, but... I hate that churches have to be good at marketing. It grieves me. 
I hate that I feel compelled to go on Facebook and pay for ads to get people to show up and to know what's... I hate the fact that I feel compelled to make sure we have really good-looking signs and, and all the... I hate all that stuff. I'm not talking about, by the way, having good marketing to outsiders. I'm talking about the fact that we have to market ourselves to you. That's the part that I hate. You understand what I'm saying? Like, I wish that we didn't have to worry about marketing ourselves to each other and we just come together and not have to talk but actually do action together, impacting other people. Because I feel like when we are trying to market to ourselves, it's just rhetoric, right? It's not really action. You know what else they focused on? They focused on their commission, not their preservation. What I mean by commission? Go ye therefore into all the world, making disciples, baptizing in the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit, the Great Commission. They had a focus on the commission, not preservation. What I mean by preservation? They weren't making sure they had their needs met. A lot of churches do this, by the way. Listen, we have to make sure that we have enough money coming in to cover the salaries and to cover the building expenses and to cover all the other programs that we have. We have to make sure that we preserve what we have first before we go outside. we got to be strong inside before we go outside. See, many Jews were concerned also about dirtying up Christianity. I don't think we should bring these Gentile people into what we're doing here. Some were just obsessed with targeting just Jews, not only Jews, but they were obsessed with targeting good Jews. No, no, don't don't talk to the Jews that are struggling. Talk to the Jews that are there every day and are good givers to the temple. That would be helpful too. You see... The commission is the declaration from God to confront all cultures with grace. Does that sound familiar? That's that's what being biblical means for us. We confront all cultures with grace. And the early church understood if we are going to fulfill our commission, we have to confront all cultures with grace, not just the people we think are going to be fun to confront, but the ones that are going to be a little bit costly, a little risky to confront with grace. Because, see, what I want you to understand is uh, being motivated to preserve yourself is fueled by fear, isn't it? But commission activity is fueled by courage. You see the difference? A church that is trying to make sure that things run well for the people inside to be happy and making sure we have all the stuff we need and we don't, we don't want to be ready to reach out to certain types of people because we can't handle it yet. And, and so that is all motivated by fear. But when you're a commission-minded church that wants to confront all cultures with grace, you have courage and passion that fuel you. You know what else they were focused on? And this is very important because this will kill us as a movement. We need to be focused more on compassion, not bitterness. Do you guys remember how the first century church embraced Paul? Who most likely had killed some of their closest friends and family? Think about that. Paul was known for killing lots of Christians. He had probably killed some of the early church's friends or family. And yet once he became a child of God and Barnabas worked with him and discipled him and mentored him, they embraced him. Now that's compassion. They had every right to be bitter. But supernaturally they weren't. When something 
Let me explain it this way. When something becomes consumed by bitterness, the bitterness might be powerful in its initial emotion, but ultimately that will fizzle out. Because bitterness, listen carefully, if you are steeped in bitterness, that will never birth sacrifice and service. Bitterness will never result in you being more sacrificial. I'm so bitter and angry, so I'm going to give more money to people. I'm so bitter and so angry, so I'm going to go serve people. No, bitterness makes you do what? Fear, self-preservation. If we cannot make sure that as a church that we don't focus on bitterness, we will be a place of selfish taking Rotting spiritual corpses. That's what bitterness does to a movement. It kills it. Now let's look at the devotional part. Actually, I want to look at one more thing. I just want to look at generous sacrifice, not comfort. See, if we truly understand the sacrifices made before us by the early church and by Jesus, it will change how we participate in church on Sunday mornings and during the week. See, church has to become less about what we are getting and what we like and what we enjoy and more about sacrificing and serving. Do you understand that? We as a church, if we're going to be a movement like Acts chapter 11, we have to focus on generosity and sacrifice and not our own personal comfort. Now, yes, look, I was joking a little bit earlier about a church and a comedy club, but this is actually a very comfortable building. It works great. But we can't get so comfortable that we lose our sacrifice and generosity. Let's look at the devotional part of this today. How our core values will inspire us to be a movement. You know, there are many different types of movements that inspire people to sacrifice. Right? I mean, there are. There's political movements. <clears throat> people sacrifice to be a part of the Tea Party, to be part of Occupy Wall Street. People sacrifice their lives to be a part of the Arab Spring. So there are political movements that certainly can inspire people to action, to take their core values and try to make them relevant to society. Now, unfortunately, sometimes, actually most of the times, political movements are inspired by bitterness, and so they fizzle out after a while, like I said earlier. There's morality movements, like the civil rights movement. Even the Reformation was a movement fueled by morality as the word of God was being corrupted. And there are people like Martin Luther who felt it was wrong and they were motivated and had courage to address the issue. <clears throat> there are even movements that people will sacrifice for that are motivated by their own depravity, like racism. Moral rebellion, like the free love hippie movement. There are even movements that are governmental and economic, like communism, fascism, even libertarianism, and capitalism, and democracy are all government or economic movements that may inspire people for a little while to sacrifice. But what happens with all of those? I feel that there are two things. First of all, it's unfortunate, but many of these movements for some reason, cause us as Christians to sacrifice more than the church does. I know some Christians who will sacrifice relationships over politics. I know some, some Christians who will sacrifice morality 
and those people that will get involved in these other movements and they'll be far more motivated and inspired by these flawed, temporary, fizzling out type of movements than they are the gospel. And I think the reason for that is this. For many people, the church is no longer a movement. It's not like it was in Acts 11. It has become an institution. Let me explain the difference. Institutions are for those who want to receive. People join institutions for what they can get. I'm going to this institution because it's a good education. I'm going to work here because there's good pay or good benefits. I'm going to do this because I can get that. I'll go to this church because they've got good music or they've got a good preacher or they've got good buildings or they've got good programs. And what has begun to, has begun to happen in modern day America is that the church has become an institution, a place where people go to receive. But movements aren't like that. Movements are places where people go to sacrifice. So if you're coming to church just to receive, it is an institution for you. And here's the scary part. The end result of all institutions is that ultimately they will collapse under their own weight when the cost of the, of the number of those looking to take exceeds the cost and the ability of those willing to sacrifice. So if we have more people taking than sacrificing, we are by definition an institution and we will fail. So the question is, why are you a part of Grace Life? Are you a part of Grace Life because we got some good things to offer? We don't have a whole lot yet. We're brand new. We're still working on some things. Or are you here to sacrifice? So I have some core values that we've talked about. And I want to make sure that you understand why they're relevant and tied to Acts chapter 11. First of all, we are mobile. We believe that people are important, not buildings. That's why we don't own any. That's why I pray and hope it, I hope it, doesn't, I hope, hope it never changes. Maybe something happens where we have to buy something, right? But I really hope we never have to own a building because I don't want to spend millions and millions of dollars on buying it and maintenance and upkeep and all that stuff when I could spend that on outreach and sacrifice. And we are going to be organic because of that. We are going to be relationship-driven, not program-driven. And we are biblical because we are going to focus on our commission. We're going to confront all cultures with grace, not just the ones that seem like would be good to be part of a brand new church core. And we have to be generous. We have to have sacrifice that surprises people around us because that's a core value that's going to change our community and our society. So I hope you can see some similarities between our core values and what the church described in Acts looked like, right? I hope you can see that. See, we didn't just pick those out of random thin air because they, you know, look nice and I was able to narrow it down. It was brought out of Scripture. So as a ministry team, and I'm just going to share my heart here for the next couple of minutes. We're almost done. As a ministry team and as a staff and leadership, we want a movement so bad. I do not want a religious living room. Because I can tell you right now, as your pastor, I'm not satisfied with where we are yet. And we hope that you aren't either. 
We're excited, and there's some good things happening, and we're ready to go, but, but we know we've got a lot of work to do. We've got a lot of sacrificing to do. We've got a lot of things to get done before we are actually asserting our core values to change and alter society. Right now, we are not there. I think we're close. I think on a scale of 1 to 10, we're about a 5, maybe a 5.5, maybe sometimes, like on today, 4.5, when people would rather be up late and hear me, hear me preach. You know, but other than that... Just a joke, people, okay? Just a joke. I think, honestly, I think we're about a five, five and a half. But we're not there yet. And this is not judging anyone, okay? Don't take it this way. But I do feel like at this point, we are at a place where there are people who are sacrificing more than they really should or can to make up for some people who are receiving when they could be sacrificing. So I think right now, we're about 55% receiving 45% sacrificing. I just based upon my feel for the congregation and my conversations with people, I feel that's where we are. And I'm not judging anyone who's not there yet or hasn't bought into the movement because, you know, that's part of our job as leaders to try to share with people a movement that inspires them. So understand I'm not judging you, but that's, I feel like that's where we are. So because of that, we have some areas that we're going to focus on in the first part of the year. Yes, we have a plan and a direction. First thing I want to tell you about is this thing called Grace Life Recovery. It starts on January 16th, 7 o'clock, at the Nightlife Center. Dinner provided every week. One of the things I'm excited about with Grace Life is we do have a very strong and vibrant group of people that are in the recovery community that have decided to call Grace Life their home. And I am thrilled. You know one of the reasons I'm thrilled? I mean, I'm thrilled with all the people that are coming, that are in recovery, that feel like this is a place for grace and mercy, but a lot of them are really young. I'm really excited about that. So we're going to start a ministry on Monday, January 16th at 7 o'clock at Nightlife called Grace Life Recovery. It's going to be a recovery ministry different than anything you've ever seen. We have our men's discipleship training starting up very soon. Stay tuned. It's going to start soon with about five or six men that are trained to be leaders, and then we're going to grow from there. Daryl and I are working with uh, Pastor Brian Yost in town to get that started. Very excited. That's going to happen in January. Women's Bible Fellowship starts back. Is it this week or next week? One of the two, but it starts back very soon. And we just met like two or three times last year just to kind of get our feet wet. Now it's full bore. Grace Life students, guess what? We have a big, exciting vision meeting tomorrow, 1030 at Nightlife. If you're interested, if you're a young person or a parent and like to be involved, come on up. Come on out. 1030. Tomorrow, student ministry is going to rock in 2017. I'm excited about the things that Chris has planned, and it's going to be awesome. We have a generosity vision team that is formed. We're going to start meeting. This team is going to set oversight for the money that we give to other people. I mean, remember, the goal is that we're going to have more than 50% of our budget go to outreach and hurting people in our community. That means we could very possibly have tens of thousands of dollars that we have to figure out the best way to spend Well, I have a group of people that are going to be part of what I call a generosity vision team that's going to make sure that we vet all the places we put the money to make sure it's used correctly and to its fullest extent. I have a Grace Life social media team that's going to be starting up in January. A team of three people to form a strategic approach to social media that will allow us to assert our core values in innovative ways that are relevant to our society. Now, all these sound great, right? They're cool things. But listen, they won't happen 
This is important. They will not happen unless a majority of us are inspired to sacrifice and not receive. Time, money, talents, and just to rest, make sure that you're rest assured, there is nobody ever going to get rich off of Grace Life. That's why we're all part-time. We are here to be part of the movement with you. It's time for us to be like Acts chapter 11 and go to the next level. Time to stop growing spiritually in knowledge and let our actions meet our rhetoric. And we must allow our core values to inspire us to sacrifice for this movement that we call the grace life. Otherwise, we're just a group of people eating in a cool building until we can't afford it anymore. That's not what I signed up for. I know it's not what you signed up for. <clears throat> Dad, we ask that as we start 2017 that you would help us to know and have wisdom of knowing how to be relevant, how to take our core values of being mobile, organic, biblical, and generous, and assert them in our community in a way that, Im that impacts them and transforms them. Help us to not be part of something that is just where we can receive, but something where we can give. In Jesus' name.